to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden. And if you want to hang out with us online, check out our Instagram, Medium Cool Pod. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. It will come straight to me and I will happily respond. Uh, for episode 114, I'm going to have Joe back on here. And uh, we had a fun idea. Uh, we love to have excuses to go back and talk about movies that we love uh, from you know past times. And uh, I came up with the idea of doing anniversary features, meaning like uh, in ten year increments. So it's 2024 now. Let's go back. You can do 2014. You can do 2004, 94, 84, 74, etc., etc., etc. And uh, we're gonna call it as Joe requested: movies on the fours. He'll explain it whenever we talk uh, about what that means. But uh, so, yeah, we are picking three movies. They are recommendations. We encourage you to check out if you haven't or rewatch them if you have or whatever. If you need any suggestions, here they are. There's six movies in total, all of which are streaming, though Joe does technically give you one you have to pay for because he's an asshole. But I digress. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, they should be streaming at least. You may not have that streaming network. That's fine. That's why we give you six, okay? I know one's Netflix and one's Max. Uh, so, you know, if you have one of those, at least you have a title, okay? Uh, but, yeah, we uh, we talked about a few movies. It was actually very fun. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, and there's a point during our conversation where we start talking about Jimmy Stewart, and he traps me, okay? Joe traps me in a lie, Okay? And I talk about, I remember a thing, and it makes me out to be a liar. Well, guess what? In the outro, I'll tell you exactly what happened. But until then, enjoy my conversation with Joe as we talk about the medium cool movies on the force. All right, everybody, we are here today to talk about Joe and I's three recommendations for movies on the four. Wait, no. Movies on the fours. How do you say it, Joe? Movies on the fours. Movies on the fours. You know, like, you know, traffic on the fives. You know, if, if you listen to terrestrial radio um, or watch the news, if that still exists, do we still have news? <laughs> um, they, they, yeah. That's the, the morning shows would always be like, we have, what is it? It's like traffic and more on the fours. I don't know. That's like, I made gotcha. that up, but that's like a real thing that they did at some point. Yeah. So, I, I thought that was kind of a fun connection to make well, to our um, desire to go back in um, increments of 10 um, <laughs> back yeah. in time to to uh, review some of our our fun our, or more our more loved, I guess, movies from from yesteryear, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago or more, whatever. Yeah. Medium like cool movies. Movies on the fours. Yeah. That's what it is. I'm going to probably make a jingle for this because, guys, we're planning on probably doing this throughout the year. Um, the, the, the way that this works, basically, uh, I know that I said this in the intro, so I'll keep it short. But uh, basically, we're going to be choosing movies from a year that ends with four. So 2014, 2004, 1954, 1974, like any whatever. Um, all the way back to debatably 1894. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he pulled out some some suspect video of cats boxing. I don't know. I think it was CGI. Uh, I yeah. I sent. I sent. Joe's like they didn't make movies then, and I sent him a uh, Thomas Edison movie. But um, anyways, the point is though, um, you know that's how it works. But the, the idea, the goal is to make sure it's on a streaming service. 
There's no specific streaming service. There's no limit to it. So if you don't have it, I'm sorry, but at least it's on there. I'll just give away one right now. One of mine's on the Criterion channel. Not everyone has that, Mm -hmm. but you know what? I want to talk about this movie, so screw you. I have it. Maybe they should have it. Yeah, maybe you should have it, okay? (laughs) Um, So, yeah. uh, But, yeah, and and it also gives us a chance to go back and look at uh, anniversary features, and uh, uh, it gives us a reason to talk about some of these movies because, I mean, there's a lot over the course of the last 120 years or whatever. You know what I mean? And uh, and. However many decades that is twelve or whatever. I guess that's how you divide yes. by ten. But <laughs> uh, but anyways, by, uh, yeah, there's know. a lot, and uh, I'm excited to get into this. So um, that's how we are working here. Uh, Joe, do you want to start us off, man? We have, oh, by the way, we have three uh, a piece that we're gonna mm-hmm. kind of recommend and talk a little bit about and kind of move yeah. through like a list. So yeah. uh, let's just get started. They'll get it, Joe. What's yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna start back in 1994. Um, uh, I actually mentioned, uh, uh, was it last week? Uh, yeah, last week I mentioned the remake of this film. Um, so, uh, coincidentally enough, um, th- this is my movies, my movie on the four for 94, uh, at least for this time is Curtis Hansen's the river wild. So, uh, th- this movie stars Meryl Streep, uh, Kevin Bacon, John C. Riley, David Strathairn. And I think the kid was. Uh, Benjamin Bratt also we talked about this I think at some point we might have yeah yeah, yeah I, I think we talked about it at, um, at some point on the podcast um, Joseph Mazzella I think is the kid uh, he was in I think he was in Hook uh, but anyway Meryl Streep is a, uh, a a retired white river rafter and she takes she's having marital problems takes her son out on the river and her husband um, who uh, played by David Strathairn, um, who is amazing in this as he is in just about everything he's ever done. Um, and they uh, go out for a healing trip on the ocean or on the ocean and the river. And uh, they run into a couple of bad hombres played by Kevin Bacon and John C. Riley, and uh, shenanigans occur. And she has to, uh, Meryl Streep's character has to uh, embrace her, her inner animal and, um, not be civilized and has to uh, use the her knowledge of the rapids as a weapon against these bad guys to to thwart their evil plan to escape with all this money they've stolen. So um, very fun movie. Um, it, it's a movie that could easily have been very low budget and just ridiculous. Um, but somehow with all of that star power and Curtis Hansen's steady hand, uh, they make a uh, really fun thriller. Uh, Kevin Bacon is is for my money one of my favorite performances of his um just as a complete bad guy and um it, it, it's just a lot of fun it's a it's a really good you know i mean curtis hansen has this movie he has la confidential he has wonder boys he has a handful of really good movies and um this is uh one of those that sort of under the radar uh in his uh filmography and um and then and also for most of those actors i just named as well um but it's a it's a really a fun time and a movie I recommend to everyone um, every day. I think I mentioned this movie every single day to somebody. <laughs> I don't really, but um, but I would if I had to. So um, if you've never seen it, go see it. 
Yeah, he also did Eight Mile. Don't forget that. He did uh, do Eight but, Mile. Yeah. <laughs> it's like such a random one when you name all the other ones to <laughs> me. Because like L.A. Confidential is, I wouldn't call it like one of my favorite films, but it's like, dude, I can watch that literally any time. Yeah. Like if you throw that shit on, I fucking love that movie. Yeah, that's um, a great movie. But, uh, but yeah, I actually haven't seen this one, so that's really exciting. Oh, very um, It is, uh, yeah, The River Wild. One thing about, uh, well, so Curtis Hansen is just one of those uh directors that kind of resides under the surface you mm-hmm. know it's not that he's rare or you know it's like not that he's just like some unknown guy it's not that at all it's just no one ever fucking talks about curtis hansen right you know what i'm saying yeah uh, and so unfortunately he died in 2016 so we yep. don't get any more of, of of these movies but he left uh you know some really great ones you named most of them i want to say david strathairn is the unsung american hero here okay not near enough people talk about this guy Mm -hmm. and even though i haven't seen this movie i can back that david strathairn is amazing all the time and if anyone need find a an exemplar of his ability it's probably you know the river wild maybe but good night and good luck absolutely and yeah. unbelievable but we're not in that year right now okay so yeah. why don't you just calm down it's next year okay just like don't get too ahead of yourself yeah so so hey uh foreshadowing when we do <laughs> movies on the five <laughs> yes. next year joe will do good uh good night and good luck yes um, I will. but anyways uh yeah uh so uh the river wild good choice mm-hmm. i i would talk more about it but i haven't seen it i do really like curtis hansen stuff that i've seen uh the mm-hmm. wonder boys and uh um la confidential i think might be the only two i've seen from beginning i've seen okay. i saw eight mile when it came out but i don't really remember that movie honestly mm-hmm. yeah um but man, uh, he also did the hand rocks the cradle um which was a big movie in 92 um rebecca de mornay um as a psychotic uh nanny um which was a fun movie um i'm, I'm just kind of like looking through uh the bedroom window I, steve gutenberg in that movie um bad influence which was james spader um a film from 1990 um and rob lowe yeah so yeah um, written by david kep by the way of uh uh m- many notable films including the uh some of the raimi spider-man movies i think the first one maybe yeah he also uh he also directed he was a director on evil town apparently from mm-hmm. 1985 as yeah. edward collins <laughs> <laughs> He didn't. He didn't um, want his name on that one. Nope. Uh, no, I'm just joking. I don't even know what that movie is. All right. Cool. Yeah. Good pick. Yeah. Uh, where's yeah. the streaming, dude? Um, well, you can rent this um, on on uh, uh, through, through Amazon, I believe. Um, that that's where I saw it. So, God, Joe's the worst. Joe's trying break? to make I, you. I already broke the format. Yeah, dude. Joe's trying to make <laughs> you Listen, fucking I can't spend help money. It that I don't. That Amazon doesn't give me like the Tubi listings and things. <laughs> where can we, uh, where yeah. Can too we bad. Stream? Too bad that Letterboxd gives you all of that information, Joe. Does it? What's Letterboxd? God, I hate you. <laughs> okay, uh, no. Uh, so yeah, you can you can rent that. That's okay. Three ninety nine, yeah. something like that. Probably two ninety nine. Maybe it's an older movie. You never know. It'll be the best three ninety nine you spent this week. There you go. Boom. Yeah. Fuck your coffee. <laughs> uh, actually, their coffee probably costs twice as much. So you know, yeah. watch this movie. No, yeah. uh, I I actually. Um, Set up my list uh, chronologically, but mm-hmm. from oldest going to newest, just because I want to. Um, yeah. My first one, I will say that anybody expecting me to have 1994's Pulp Fiction, I will just get that out of the way now. It's not. We've talked about that one mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit in the past. 
Yeah. Uh, I have labeled it as uh, kind of my default favorite movie. I, like, I don't, I know for a fact now it's not really, but if someone asks me, it's always kind of a default I throw out. Yeah. I actually just, I just want to do a caveat on this real quick. I just watched it with my buddy Jordan, who may or may not listen to this. And uh, and we, we watched Pulp Fiction, never seen it before. And I'm watching it. And yeah, he, he 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 was never like a movie guy, but now he's starting to get into it. I love that. I'm like, I am corrupting this young man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great. And so Pulp Fiction, uh, we watch it together and it's it was a surreal experience for me because one on one hand, I'm like, I'm showing this movie that I love so much to someone who's never seen it. So I'm almost trying to see it through their eyes Mm -hmm. and I'm like hyper aware of what's going on and what they're thinking. And then the other side of it is like, I'm watching it and I'm like also thinking, is this really my favorite movie? Like I'm consciously doing that as I'm watching it. (laughs) And so now I'm probably on my search for my favorite movie at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, I think after probably 10 or 12 years, Pulp Fiction might be getting the bump a little bit. Okay. Though I love All it, right. top ten for me, but still. Can, can I? Can I? Um, while you're talking about Pulp Fiction, maybe um, um, spark you or uh, inspire you even to call me horrible again. In my um, it, it, and recently on Midwest Film Journal, I covered um, Samuel L. Jackson and Jackie Brown, and I believe I called and I stand by this. I called Jackie Brown a better film than Pulp Fiction. Wow. <laughs> Wow, bold move! Yeah, that is not that is not a you're not alone. Uh huh. There is yeah. like a cult following of that yeah. mentality, right? Yes. I love Jackie Brown. I, I, and I love go... Pulp Fiction. No, yeah. that's no yeah. disrespect to Pulp Fiction at all because I love Pulp Fiction. But I, yeah, I love Jackie Brown also. Jackie Brown just makes me feel ways that most movies don't make me feel. Yeah, it, dude, it's great, and it's one that I want to rewatch. Maybe I'll like it more this time. Yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, anyway, so so my real pick, though, I just wanted that to be clear because anyone who knows me knows like that would probably be on there. We're in the fours, right? Um, we're on the fours. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, uh, channeling in my my Matthew Sosi, my inner Matthew Sosi by screaming things. Yes. Um, but anyways, my first my first recommendation for you folks. Again, this is a Criterion Channel uh, streaming movie. So if you don't have that. Um, you know, I'll just throw you all uh, under the financial bus and make you rent it on any other thing like Joe did. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, which is the case for any of these. But if you have Criterion Channel, uh, that streaming service, uh, uh, Rear Window from 1954 mm-hmm. is on there. The 70th anniversary of this Hitchcock classic. This is one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. It is okay. the superior Hitchcock movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, often tossed up against Vertigo, and unfortunately, Vertigo most more often than not with uh, critics and different things wins. Not mm-hmm. this guy, and I like Vertigo a lot as well. But yeah. um, Rear Window, I adore. Cast is uh, Jimmy Stewart, Grace Kelly, Thelma Ritter. It was released September first, nineteen fifty four. Okay. Check this out, Joe. One million dollar budget. That sounds crazy to me, especially yeah, when you see yeah. the set that they built. But it was mm-hmm. it, it was 1954. It made a box office of 37 million, which is quite a lot of money yeah. uh, for that time. Again, streaming on Criterion Channel. It's uh, about p- professional photographer LB Jeff Jeffries, um, who breaks his leg while getting an action shot at an auto race. He's confined to his 
New York apartment and spends his time looking out the rear window observing the neighbors when he begins to suspect a man across the courtyard for murdering his wife. Joe enlists the help of a high society fashion consultant girlfriend and his visiting nurse to investigate. This is a, a movie that is largely contained in one small kind of location where he can actually, as a photographer, use these telephoto lens, like these long lenses, um, and actually look and like kind of just like a little voyeur freak, you know, look at all this stuff. That It's kind of creepy. We'll talk about that in a second. But yes. uh, but Rear Window, uh, for me, dude, this movie remains just a timeless classic. Uh, and I just, for me, it captivates me um, the same as the first time I watched it. Like sometimes I'll watch that movie and I'll think, uh, like, do I really love this as much? Like it starts and I'm like, man, is this as good as I think? And by the end, I'm like, fuck, yes, it is. This mm-hmm. is the greatest. Um, and it's, it's largely due to its suspenseful storytelling and uh, just the innovative cinematography that Hitchcock was always known for being able to do these interesting things like in rope, trying to make everything look like one shot. Um, you know, shooting uh, lifeboat, uh, you know, which is supposed <laughs> to be on the water, of course. And um, just the way that he he tried to uh, innovate things. It is on full display here. It's set entirely in the confines of a Greenwich Village apartment complex, like I said. And um, it really tries to follow the voyeuristic exploits of the mm-hmm. photographer, Jeffries. Um, mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart is excellent. Uh, he in this movie, he is recuperating from a broken leg. The character is that uh, that is. But uh, and he just becomes so embroiled in this mystery that uh, as he it's one of those things where people think he's crazy when he talks about uh, what he suspects neighbors are doing. But then as the movie continues, just weirder and weirder coincidences go on. And what I love about that mystery is, yes, they're making arguments for why this happened or what for what happened but you never know if that's actually what happened or not and that's part of what makes it so great it's less that you know something happened like watching um uh body double from brian de palma 1984 uh if you watch Mm -hmm. that movie you know when he's voyeur like doing his voyeur shit like someone killed someone like like that is happening but in this uh it's a little different so uh when i think of like the film's central themes which is something that i find uh interesting of course i talk about these things often i feel like we really tackle kind of the nature of voyeurism and the tension between kind of uh observing and participating in the lives of others around you you know you have Um, all of these neighbors in this almost dollhouse level apartment complex where you can kind of see everyone. Um, Hitchcock is really exploring kind of the allure of peering into the private lives of neighbors here, uh, raising questions about the ethical or the ethics rather of like, uh, it could be surveillance or the boundaries of personal space. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Jeff becomes increasingly more obsessed, of course, and he's trying to uncover the truths behind the suspected murder. And it really, continues to dive into the curiosity and the morality and the consequences of this unchecked curiosity that he has. Um, And we see that in full force at the end, of course, which even though this movie is, let me say again, 70 years old, that is freaking crazy to me. Um, I'm not going to spoil the end. (laughs) Uh, So uh, what sets rear window apart, in my opinion, is just the execution of Hitchcock's meticulous attention to detail. My favorite filmmakers, all of them have a meticulous attention 
to detail. I have a whole yeah. sleeve of tattoos dedicated to Kubrick. A guy that was almost uh, or a bona fide sadist, basically, with his mm-hmm. level of attention to detail. You know? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I really love that. But Hitchcock uh, was significantly more innocent in that, though. He's not fully innocent. He's a freak, too. We all know it. Oh, and, yeah. Um, and the, the film's use of uh, limited sets and long takes, dude, it just creates this really great claustrophobic and immersive, uh, you know, uh, atmosphere i guess you mm-hmm. could say in the film's use of uh uh of the characters and and the uh the ideas of what we see versus what is reality um i i just love that challenge uh, of that mystery um hitchcock's visual style that signature visual style he has is 100 here on full display like i said he's using inventive camera angles and dynamic framing he's adding uh, an extra layer of tension to the narrative, and he keeps the audience kind of on the edge of their seats uh, until the film's, uh, you know, finale. As I said, I won't ruin. Uh, but the last thing I'll say is that you know, Rear Window also features standout performances. As I said, I love um, Jimmy Stewart, of course, and I absolutely adore Grace Kelly. I've talked about this movie on the podcast briefly, um, and I want to remind everyone since it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Grace Kelly was like one of my first screen crushes when I got into movies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love Gene Kelly so or Grace Kelly. I love Gene Kelly too, but I love yeah. Grace Kelly so much. Um, and she's absolutely captivating here, I think. And and let's not forget Thelma Ritter, though, uh, lest I be damned, because she is absolutely great. She's also really great in pickup on South Street, if anyone hasn't seen that, but uh, I digress. Um, but the chemistry between Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart, I think, is really, really great there. Joe, I've talked a long time, but man, I had a lot to say about Rear Window. I love this yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What's yeah, it's 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 a pretty good movie. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. What else can I say about about that? Um, you know, it, it. You know, you you touched on other other movies that um, borrowed from it heavily. It, it's extraordinarily influential. Um, you know, it, it's one of Hitchcock's best. It's one of the best from one of the best, if not the best, uh, you know, director in the history of cinema. And, um, yeah, it, it, from, you know, the story plot points and, you know, story elements to visual style, like this movie is, uh, you know, one that if you, if you're a filmmaker and you're not borrowing it from it in some way, you're probably doing things wrong. So, um, you, you should <laughs> take a look at it. Um, uh, I will, I will point out, it was a little known fact though, that, uh, that, uh, uh, Jeff was uh, initially not confined to a wheelchair, but Jimmy Stewart broke his, his ankle, uh, trying to ride a Shetland pony and he fell off. That prompted Hitchcock to make, uh, to make, uh, Jeff Jeffries, uh, in a wheelchair. So I don't know if you guys were aware of that. Yeah, that's great. Actually, now that you say that, I remember learning that in a class. Oh, really? Uh, I can yeah, actually remember a film class, but yeah. Well, that that's, yeah, that's the Mandela effect because I made that up. <laughs> Are you serious? I just made that up off the top of my head. <laughs> no, no, no. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. That sounds super. F- well, maybe I don't know about the fucking pony and shit, but I no. thought he actually did hurt his leg. Hold I on said one second. Shetland pony because I thought it sounded funnier. <laughs> hold on one second i'm looking i'm gonna look up something all right hold on hold on uh because i i'm gonna look that up while you do yours but let let me say because i think there's something Uh to jimmy stewart in this i think that i'm gonna find out to see what i was conflating with your fucking 
trap. Because <laughs> um, I, I remember being in up. class, and we we uh, whenever I was at Ball State, we I was in a film class, and we didn't watch Rear Window, but we were talking about Hitchcock because we watched mm-hmm. uh, Shadow of a Doubt is what we watched, and yeah, I watched that too. But we were talking about different uh, Hitchcock movies, and there was something to this. I'm going to look it up. Yeah. I, again, I could just be conflating a different movie altogether because mm-hmm. I don't remember the specifics, but yeah. uh, I'll look that up just so I can uh, save face here. Uh, uh, so, um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So, so uh, this is uh, streaming on Criterion Collection. You can also our channel. You can also find it uh, pretty much everywhere. It's too popular. Yeah. Um, but let's go to your second one, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I I, I journeyed upward to uh, through time to the year two thousand four. And, um, you know, I, I kind of tried to take a tack um, here to make to do movies that are not I don't want to say ve- or uh, obscure because I don't think any of these movies I would really call obscure, certainly not this one, but maybe one that kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. And uh, this this film is hardcore, one of my favorite movies that um, and it just doesn't seem to get the attention I think it deserves. And that's uh, Michael Mann's Collateral. So uh, if you if you don't recall Collateral, this stars Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx, Mark Ruffalo, Jada Pinkett Smith. Was she Jada Pinkett Smith at that time? Yeah. Uh, Peter Berg um, is in it also. Um, you know who is a little more well known as a director these days um, of mostly really terrible action movies. But um, but anyway, um, a couple other people I'll mention later on. Um, but yeah, so Tom Cruise plays a mysterious uh, chap by the name of Vincent. He has uh, this uh, fun silver hair that Tom Cruise almost never has in his films. <laughs> yeah, it's and uh, Jamie Foxx plays uh, Max, a cab driver who picks up Vincent from the airport, um, only to find out Vincent's a hitman who's uh, traveling around Los Angeles murdering people. And um, and so Max has to decide whether he's going to just like take this money very quietly or if he's going to uh, fight against Vincent in some way. Um, then he finds out that um, one of Vincent's targets, I believe Vincent's last target, is um, Annie, played by Jada Pinkett Smith, who is a uh, district attorney that Max had in his cab uh, just shortly before uh, he picked up Vincent. So um, it's it's such a fun action movie. It has... So this first of all, the cinematography is amazing. Uh, Michael Mann shot largely on uh, this is uh, done on a digital camera back in the early days of of digital, and it makes Los Angeles looks look incredible. The atmosphere created just by the uh, the cinematography is unbelievable, and it's just like there's these just overhead shots where you can just feel Los Angeles's weather while you're watching this movie from the air-conditioned or heated confines of your home or movie theater but you could absolutely tell just by looking at it what the temperature is at uh, in los angeles at the time that they're filming this movie um it is such a great movie there's there are just there's great scenes after great scene um there's one where um jamie fox's max has to impersonate vincent to um essentially his boss the man who's hired him uh a man named Felix played by Javier Bardem in a, an outstanding scene where um, Javier Bardem ends up telling a story about, of all things, Santa Claus. And um, it is an outstanding scene where there's a lot of things going on. Um, this movie is just packed full of kind of subtext or, you know, and in, in maybe not not maybe not quite Hitchcockian, but in the way that Hitchcock movies do, 
there are generally three or four things at play in any, you know, in any particular scene uh, of this movie. So there's, um, you know, there's cops closing in on Vincent, uh, trying to find out who he is. There are the uh, Vincent's targets. There's Vincent's bosses who are kind of always lurking in the shadow. And and then there's Max and his mother, played by Irma P. Hall, who pretty much steals the movie. And we have this aside where they Vincent and Max go to the hospital to visit her. And uh, it it's just it's such a just a fun scene that really shouldn't even have been in that movie, except for the the stakes it presents um, for Max and then for Vincent later on. But um, this movie is such a just such a good time. Um, there's great use of music. There's great use of lighting. Um, you know, I touched on the the digital cinematography, but there's also a great sequence in the club um, later on where Tom Cruise takes people apart. Um, there's a great scene involving a mugging um, and just there's so many things. There's just so many things in this movie that just make it comfort food. Um, but one hardcore thriller also. And Tom Cruise is as bad as he's ever been. Uh, and uh, Jamie Foxx is pretty fun and believable as sort of a mousier kind of guy who has to um, kind of step things up um, to uh, do something good. So um, if you've never seen Collateral, um, this is again directed by Michael Mann, who, you know, I don't know, have you ever heard of Heat? Um, <laughs> you know, he's <laughs> he, his last, The Insider, um, The Last of the Mohicans. Uh, he did Fort, oh, he was an executive producer on that, never mind. Um, he, yeah, so uh, you know Michael Mann. If you don't know Michael Mann, you know, you, you can't really call yourself a movie lover. So, um, yeah, check this out if you've never seen it. If you haven't, if you have seen it, go watch it again because it is. It is worth watching. It is worth watching more than once. So every time I watch it, I see something new. And uh, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about Collateral. Yeah, I have a few things to say about this. This is fun. First off, Michael Mann um, is a guy that, you know, we, we hear about if you watch like a Woody Allen movie. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like New York is always, at least in that earlier stuff, New York is always a character. Yes. Right? Like it is. He films it in a certain way where it feels a certain way. Michael Mann is that way with L.A., Right. Like he makes yeah. L.A. feel a certain way that like no one else. And he has a very yeah. distinct style, I think, really, really confirmed with heat. But mm -hmm. um, but I mean, even before then, he did Thief, which we actually covered on the podcast. I believe you and I did. Yeah. Uh, so you can go back and listen to that. He actually had a movie last year called Ferrari, which I actually yeah. have not seen yet. I've seen um, it. I didn't want to mention it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm not saying all of these are great, uh, but because he has a few stinkers, don't get me wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. That but uh, I'm pretty sure that it, it, the, if I'm not mistaken, the first depiction of Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter, yeah, Manhunter um, yeah. in 1986 before. Which I think we've also, we also talked about that. Um, I, think, I think that was what I chose when you chose Thief. We covered Michael Mann, I think. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't know why I can't think of uh the Hannibal Lecter we always know the actor why can't I think Anthony of Hopkins thank you Jesus yeah he, I'm he, thinking he. of an A but I couldn't get Anthony right, right. anyways uh, <laughs> this isn't Anthony Hopkins so you know you'll have to look elsewhere but Michael Mann is generally just kind of great so uh, I I really even in the movies I don't love mm -hmm. I find that it's always kind of just worth seeing to me yes um absolutely uh, also with collateral, I have a funny kind of history with that. Cause I want to say right now off the, just off the bat, I do like this movie quite mm -hmm. a bit, yeah. uh, but, uh, certainly a good Michael Mann movie. Uh, but 
first, this is a Tom Cruise movie uh, where he is not Tom Cruise. It's like he had Magnolia yes. where he's a very different character, mm-hmm. um, you know, but a lot of his movies, he's very similar. Let's be real. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's just, yeah. he's like the Tom Cruise typecast, right? This right. is one where he is not. And so uh, I love that about him. And uh, but my 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 history with collateral. So I, I was living in Chicago at the time. I had some roommates. And my buddy was like, dude, you got to watch collateral. It's so awesome. He loaned me the DVD. OK, yeah. I never saw it in theaters, but I saw it right when it shortly after it came out. He used to buy brand new DVDs when they came out. So he had this mm-hmm. one probably a couple weeks into its release or whatever on DVD. And so I throw it in and I watch it. And I bet I, I from the moment Jada Pinkett Smith at the very beginning gets out of the cab mm-hmm. and Tom Cruise gets in, I yeah. pause the movie. I walked mm-hmm. into my roommate and I said, if XYZ happens in this movie, I'm going to uh-huh. hate this movie. And guess what happened, Joe? <laughs> that I called happened, that yeah. motherfucker like 10 minutes into this movie. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was so disappointed. Now, this is really early in my film love. Okay. I started yeah. in fall of 2003. So mm-hmm. this would have been, you know, probably the end of 2004, maybe early 2005, whenever the DVD came out. I forget. Yeah. And so, uh, again, I, I was way early. So years later, I went and I started watching all these Michael Mann movies I hadn't seen. There were a few I wanted to rewatch, one of which was Collateral. And that time I had, once I already knew what was going to happen and all that, I was able to kind of get past it. And now I'd watched so many movies since then and all, because this is probably the early 2010s. And uh, man, this movie is a fucking fun time. And you hinted at probably the scene that I remember the most, which Mm -hmm. is the mugging scene where uh, um, Jamie Foxx, is zip tied to the steering wheel. Yes. And a guy runs up on him with a gun and he's going to basically rob him. And yeah. Jimmy Fox can't move. And the dude's screaming at him. He's like, dude, I'm tied up. Like, I can't do anything. So, of course, the guy takes his wallet. He takes this briefcase that's in the back. Of course, secretly, uh, the briefcase belongs to Tom Cruise's character. But Tom mm-hmm. Cruise is out of the car right now. So he's gone right now. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the as the guys are walking away, Tom Cruise comes out and he's like, hey, homies. Yeah. What are you doing? You know, yeah. and they kind of walk back there, threaten him. And if if Tom Cruise has ever been more of a badass, I'd love to know when, because he yes. straight up takes that gun from that bitch uh-huh. and he he shoots them so fast. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, it's just like, ba-bow, ba-bow, ba-bow. like, but he just has like a semi auto handgun. Right. Yeah. And I'm just uh-huh. like, how does he shoot these guys so fast? Like, it was crazy. Right. I, I really I really love that sequence. I need to go back and rewatch this because I probably haven't seen it since that last rewatch. But the mm. good news is I ended on a good note. So yeah. I do like that movie. Love that choice. I even told you before we started going that I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm glad that that's represented because I mm. think it'd be a really good movie for people who especially aren't familiar with Michael Mann, maybe or haven't watched a lot of that. I think Collateral is a pretty um, yeah. accessible movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, so where's this yeah. streaming? Or is yeah, this another this renting? is on Amazon Prime currently. So you can, yeah, you can, yeah, you can watch. If you have a Prime subscription, you can watch it right now. As a matter of fact, I I just turned it on to confirm that a, a little bit ago before we started recording, and it said watch again, and I was like, yes, uh, yes, please, and and then I was like, no, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Um, um, but I uh, last last thing or two I want to say about this. There are. Um, the one thing that uh, another thing Michael Mann does really well in this film is is cast strong actors in supporting roles. I mentioned Peter Berg, who is, you know, Peter Berg, um, but he has uh, Bruce McGill as one of the cops that's uh, chasing, uh, basically chasing a string of dead bodies. Um, 
and he's uh I, I could say if I if I could quote him in the last Boy Scout, collateral rates a three on the finger scale. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen the last Boy Scout, um, you might get that joke. But if you if you haven't, maybe you should watch the last Boy Scout. Um, it's it's not a great movie, but it's worth watching. And and that's a uh, Tony Scott, another uh, fairly notable action director. Um, and the other the other actor I wanted to point out was Barry Shabaka Henley who plays the owner of a jazz club that they that they visit and tells a great story about his an interaction he had with Miles Davis um and that it, it's just those those kinds of scenes there's these Michael Mann what he does really well in this film is he creates these scenes where you just want to sit down and listen to the people the, to these characters talk you want to sit down and have a drink with them but and and the the scenes, a lot of the scenes have that feel to them where they're just two people having a very just strong conversation, two intelligent people having a good conversation. And then suddenly the scene just start. There's, there's also sort of like a, a kind of like simmering tension that as the scene progresses ramps up and then suddenly the stakes are really high and you you know, you're both interested in that tension, but you're also kind of sad that the conversation has, is ending because it was such a great conversation. And and Barry Shabaka Henley's uh, Daniel having the conversation about Miles Davis is is one of, certainly one of those conversations where he talks about how he met him and played with him, and uh, and and then uh, and then of course like business comes back into play and uh, things go south. But um, just, just a great scene. And it, like I said, this movie is just a great scene followed by a great scene, followed by a great scene. And in the, in the middle somewhere, we managed to have action. Um, and I just, I just love every moment of this movie. Um, I didn't even mention the, the Jason Statham cameo that, that happens at the very beginning where you're just like, wait, he's in this movie. And then you never see him again. <laughs> yeah. And Satan like, wasn't like a super massive star at this point either. So it's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he, but he's, he's just recognizable enough where you're like, Oh, he's in this movie. And then, and then you just never see him again. And you're like, wait, Jason Statham <laughs> was in this movie. Um, it, it's kind of a thing where you almost forget it as the movie goes on. And then um, when you watch it again, you're like, oh yeah, why the hell is he, is, is he there in this one scene for no particular reason? Love that. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, number, number two pick from Joe, a recommendation rather is go check out yep. uh, collateral. It's on prime video. If you have that, uh, if not, again, you can freaking rent this stuff. If you're interested, go watch some trailers, guys. What are you doing? I'll listen lend you to my DVD. first, but then after that, go like, you know, go listen to stuff. Yeah. Um, well, my my number two recommendation for people to check out is on Netflix. It is okay. the Francis Ford Coppola film, The Conversation from 1974, Ooh. not to be mistaken for The Godfather Part Two. Mm-hmm. Um, I straight up went to The Conversation, also The Godfather Part Two. I don't think it's streaming, but uh, right. 50th anniversary, guys. Mm-hmm. 50th anniversary. I have a poster of this in my office at work and people ask me about this movie. Mm-hmm. And I never know exactly what to say in such a short amount of time because I always have a lot to say about this movie. This is uh, uh, the movie, again, written and directed by Francis Ford Coppola. The cast, Gene Hackman, John Cazale, which is how I was told to pronounce it. Um, mm-hmm. I always, my whole life, I called him John Cazale. 
<laughs> I'm and sure you watch that. people talking about him and they're like, yeah, John Kazali. And I'm like, that's how you say his name. Uh-huh. Uh, anyways, uh, Cindy Williams, Terry Gar, and Harrison Ford. Speaking of uh, the Jason Statham wasn't a huge star and he just has a cameo. That's Harrison Ford in this. Uh, not a big star. Yep. He had done uh, American Graffiti, uh, maybe a few other small things, but uh, he, he just wasn't a big name right now. And he just plays essentially the assistant to uh, a rich guy. Yeah. Uh, it was released April 7th, 1974, budget of $1.6 million, box office $4.4 million, which if you see this movie, it is not necessarily the most, um, like if it were put out today, it'd probably lose money, unfortunately, because it's mm-hmm. so heady and, and tension-filled, and it's not big and boisterous and, and uh, CG and loud. This is a very small kind of movie, uh, but it doesn't feel small per se, but it just uh, what it's doing is very introspective. It's about surveillance expert Harry Call, who is hired by a mysterious client to tail a young couple and tracking the pair in an absolutely outstanding opening sequence, by the way, uh, where he is able to using a um, a uh, shotgun mic or not a shotgun. Uh, it's like a sniper rifle mic, basically. <laughs> you know, he's like he's like on like the fifth floor of a of this building, just like shooting down. Uh, and captures it. I'm digressing, though. Um, but he's in uh, San Francisco's Union Square and uh, tracking these these two people and getting their audio. And Call and uh, his associate Stan, played by Kazali, uh, managed to record a cryptic conversation between them. Tormented by memories of a previous case that ended badly, Call becomes obsessed with the resulting tape, trying to determine if the couple are in danger. Now, Joe, I think we watched... Uh, what is the movie? What is the movie? I'm gonna remember it. It has John Travolta in it. Um, shoot, it's the Brian <laughs> uh, De Palma movie. Oh, blow was it? Blow up? Blow out. Thank you. Thank blow you. Out. God, blow you out. saved yeah. me, bro. All right, yeah. Um, <clears throat> blow out is about John Travolta, who also has audio equipment, and he records mm-hmm. the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the um the blowout of a tire, which he then claims is a shot, like someone shot the tire out. Um, and he obsesses over it, right? He obsesses over it. And I always say blowout is literally the 60s movie Blow Up by Antonioni. And mm-hmm. Cope was the conversation if you were to mash them up, right? Yeah. Um, this movie, I think, is really great. I think it. I think a great way to put it is not only is it a thought-provoking thriller, but it's also haunting. Um, it continues to resonate with me, at least, as every time I see it. It's another movie like Rear Window. When I started, I'm like, this can't be as good as I remember. And then by the end, I'm like, fuck, I love this movie. It's so good. Um, because, uh, yeah, it's uh, Gene Hackman's like amazing in this. Yeah. And uh, it's really it's beyond just being a thriller about capturing this audio from this couple and this rich guy wanting it and people potentially dying and all of this stuff. But it's also like Gene Hackman's Harry Call descending into madness, essentially, through this whole movie, just kind of deteriorating. And what a performance. Um, and he plays, like I said, the surveillance expert, and he becomes embroiled in this uh, moral and existential crisis, basically, that leads to that kind of deterioration. And uh, going back to themes, which is kind of my, 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 my rolling theme uh, through each of my uh, picks, is I, I tried to focus on some themes this time. 
Uh, and so, you know, one of the central themes in this is the ethical dilemma surrounding surveillance and invasion of privacy. So we, we uh, there's a theme here across my picks as well. OK, I'm using use the okay. word theme about 400 times uh, mm-hmm. because uh, Rear Window also deals with voyeurism. Right. And kind yeah. of uh, ethical understandings of that. Well, now we're looking at surveillance, which also is kind of a form of voyeurism. They're all in the same ballpark, I'd say. Um, and just the invasion of privacy. So we're kind of dealing with that again. So you can double feature these if you want. <laughs> Uh, what a bummer of a night. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, through through Harry Call, uh, Coppola is able to kind of delve into the moral ambiguity uh, and the kind of boundaries between personal freedom and security and um, allows for his protagonist, Harry, to kind of grapple with the implications of his work and the moral ramifications of of uh, his actions and um I don't know. The film really explores other themes, too, like guilt and he paranoia, which is part of the dissension into what I would call madness. Um, and quite frankly, is kind of a search for redemption to an extent. If you watch the movie, there's a little of that as well. Mm-hmm. And I think what sets the conversation apart is, again, going back to kind of how I talked about Rear Window, the meticulously crafted not only screenplay, but the direction of this. Francis Ford Coppola was obviously known for kind of uh, being tormented by his productions and uh, wanting things to be perfect. Uh, Obviously, the most uh, infamous story is Apocalypse Now, Um, but all of this leads to that, right? (laughs) And and so just the way that he gradually builds tension and suspense and he draws viewers into Harry's increasingly paranoid and claustrophobic world and um, his use of sound design, which is amazing because that's basically what the movie is, and um, I also love the fucking lighting, the way that mm-hmm. this movie just yeah. looks. It has that kind of dark, grim 70s vibe. And there's a lot of so- it's like when they first really started using like a lot of soft lighting and mm-hmm. uh, really, really good. I-, I specifically remember a moment where where Hackman and Kazali are in a um, or Harry and Stan, I guess, are in a surveillance van. And there's just this like uh, slightly kind of bluish green hued light or something. Uh, and the way that it hits them and that kind of the way that it like distributes with that soft light. I just fucking love the way this movie looks. Um, let's see. I have a few more things here. I'm looking at my notes, looking at my notes. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say is the conversation, uh, features these standout performances. Like I said, I think Hackman, um, delivers one of his best performances as well. Um, mm-hmm. especially the the parts where he's consumed by guilt. I think those are really powerful, and you kind of learn about that as time goes on. Uh, John Cazale is amazing. He only made five films, which is a complete oh. travesty because he is unbelievable. And if you watch the documentary, which I can't remember what it's called, but if you just look up John Cazale documentary, it'll mm-hmm. pop up. That's really great. It will teach you why. You should know that person. Uh, all of the main cast deliver memorable performances. And, um, you know, if it weren't for them, there wouldn't be nearly as much depth and complexity to this. So mm-hmm. all that said, let me catch my breath, Joe. Uh, when was the last <laughs> time you watched the conversation? And do you remember, like, yeah. your experience? And what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I have not seen the uh, the conversation. Um, uh, but I, I will go back. Um, you know, I, I will speak uh, to John Cazale a little bit. Sure. Um, the documentary you're talking about is called I Knew It Was You from 2009. Yeah. Um, fantastic documentary, by the way. Yeah, he, yeah, John Cazale is, is sort of legendary. Number one, married to Meryl Streep. So um, that there's one, there's one little bit of uh, kind of connective tissue between the River Wild, my, my first choice and, and your current choice. 
Um, but uh, yeah, he he went um, as they say. I think would you say he made five movies? He was like five for five um, oh, in the yeah. movies that he made. So let me, um, you know, before you continue, let me tell you what they are. Okay? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I was going to read them off, but yeah, he's go ahead. in the Godfather, the Godfather yeah. Part Two, the Conversation, Dog Day Afternoon, and the fucking Deer Hunter, dude. Yeah, what bangers, bro? Yes, holy yeah. moly! Like I, I'm pretty sure. All of these movies, I gave five stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like he's so good. Continue though. Continue. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That, no, that that was yeah. That was my point. Was um, he didn't make a bad movie, um, and not only that. I mean, those are all I think certified classics. You know, yeah. I, I think you could even call them all that. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm blown away that uh, Francis Ford Coppola made the conversation and The Godfather Part Two back to essentially back to back. Right, they came out the same year. Yeah, um, I'm sure that I, I don't know how closely the filming was. And back in those days, a movie could, you know, could sit or be in post-production for a while. But yeah, The Godfather in 72, Conversation in 74, you know, alongside The Godfather Part 2. Uh, you, know, you know, that just that's that's crazy to me. What a banger uh, of tree, like a banger trio of movies to make back to back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I I as you're talking the um i you know i have the imdb page pulled up and it's so, sort of showing the trailer uh on autoplay without sound and i'm i'm very much looking at it going oh yeah maybe i need to watch this movie <laughs> so that's a that's a that, yeah this is this is a fun looking movie uh it says uh, imdb showing robert duvall has a small role in it an yeah. uncredited role um you know i mean you had me at terry gar and harrison ford uh cindy williams <laughs> Um, from uh, Laverne and Shirley, uh, yep. Laverne and Shirley fame is also in this movie. So, yep. um, yeah, that yeah, and I mean Gene Hackman is fantastic. Um, and yeah, this is a movie I've not seen him in, so I certainly want to take a look at this. Well, I'll tell you what, you can take a look at it anytime you want on Netflix. Oh, right. Netflix, yeah, it's right there. It's right <laughs> under. It's been here the whole time. Yeah, no, um, no, I, I really love this movie, man, and uh, it's one that uh, maybe one day I'll show my buddy Jordan. I'm working on, I'm working on uh, lists for him, so I yeah. just got to make sure this is on one because it's great. Right. Give us your uh, your last recommendation, so we'll finish. We'll wrap up this uh, this episode with our final recommendations. Mm-hmm. Go for it. All right. Yeah. Well. Well, this will be a nice change of pace. Um, from the the weight of some of these other movies we've we've had um again one of my favorites uh this one is from 2014 um and by the way uh a hard year to really find something that i would call under the radar there's i have a small list i so what i went through is what i did is i went through um these you know several of these years and just went through movies released that year and tried to find movies that you know i mean i don't want to go like be super on the nose uh and you know and, and talk about like the best picture winners and that, and that kind of stuff sure um but i sort of had a harder time with this because 2014 seems like you know last week so but um yeah. but i did i did choose another one of my favorite movies um this is uh something of a drama but in a much different way it's a, more of a comedy drama uh directed by john favreau it's chef um, yeah, and I think maybe we've talked about this. Uh, maybe I think we just talked about this maybe like on one of our very first podcasts uh, for our, just our favorite movies. Oh, I'm um, looking it up because I know we did. I'll find the episode while you talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so John Favreau plays a, um, a chef of uh, sort of a, a chef of some note who um, 
through a series of misfortunes, loses his job, um, and he um, ends up buying a food truck or is gifted a food truck and um, then uses that food truck to go on sort of a cross-country road trip with his young son, um, whom he um, has sort of been, I don't want to say he's been neglecting, but he's been a bit of a, you know, he's he took on a little more of that stereotypical divorced father uh, role where he, <laughs> yeah. you know, would see him when he can, um, and, you know, when he's able, when work is not in the way and otherwise um, doesn't really see him a whole lot. So, um, so, you know, that, that obviously starts to emerge with, with uh, the son. He's more and more, uh, more and more kind of disillusioned by his dad. And then he, um, they end up having this fun bonding trip where they go to, um, they're in, they're in Florida. They're, you know, so they're in Miami, they're in uh, New Orleans and kind of just going across the country and having this kind of like whirlwind food tour, basically. Um, just, it's just such a fun and warm uh, an interesting movie in a lot of ways. Um, check out this cast. John Favreau, of course, is the star. Robert Downey Jr. has a, a couple of scenes uh, playing uh, the first husband of uh, Favreau's character's ex-wife, who is played by Sofia Vergara. So uh, we have Sofia Vergara also in it. Scarlett Johansson is in it. Dustin Hoffman, Bobby Cannavale, uh, Oliver Platt, John Leguizamo. Amy Sedaris has a, a fun uh, kind of small role in it. So this this is just a so, this is essentially a movie that um, Favreau made after I want to say after Iron Man two, um, and and you can kind of tell all of the people from Iron Man two: Scarlett Johansson, Robert Downey Jr. You know, these people are were you know like straight from that movie into this much smaller movie, and it it's just a fun time. Um, there's it's almost food porn. Uh, there's he makes these great uh, Cuban sandwiches. They actually inspired me to like Cuban sandwiches and to try one. <laughs> and so it, it's something that whenever whenever I now see a Cuban sandwich on a menu somewhere, I very strongly consider trying it. Um, and that that's a, a pretty fun time. Uh, but there it's just dish after dish in this movie. Um, he there's a scene where uh, Favreau kind of seduces Scarlett Johansson's character with a a uh, plate of spaghetti. Uh, not not exactly spaghetti, um, but it this um, the dish that he made here has become one of my own signature dishes as you know as a a as a chef of my own right uh, in my own right, <laughs> which is to say I mess around a little bit and make stuff mostly poorly. But um, this is actually my favorite thing that I make for my girlfriend is this uh, this uh, pasta dish, which is called aglio aioli. Is what its real name is. It's essentially spaghetti with um <laughs> olive oil <laughs> parmesan cheese red pepper flakes um and parsley so uh, and garlic so it's like the simplest dish in the world but it is delicious and i started making it um and i made it for her one time and um that's why we're still together today <laughs> <laughs> because she she liked it so much so th this is absolutely it's absolutely a staple in in my house so we, we you know i have it we, i make it at least a couple times a month um anyway it's i'm pretty sure it's never as good as um as anything that that uh, he made in that movie because it's a fantastic scene of him just making that dish um i would also recommend very strongly checking out the chef show on i believe is it was on netflix it should still be there which is it's essentially Netflix, a cooking think, yeah. show that Favreau made 
with um, the chef who trained him uh, for this film. So they make they make that dish and they make a whole bunch of different things. There's a whole lot of like fun things where they interact with the actors who um, uh, are in the Avengers movies. And um, there's a, a particularly fun one with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow where she forgets that she was in Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, where you know you you kind of like see a little bit of her um, mentality where she was just like, no, I was not in that movie, and he's like, yeah, you were, you absolutely were. Hilarious. <laughs> and there's they have this little like argument, but there's it's it's a great great uh, as far as cooking shows go, it's very fun. Um, it's great. And yeah, and and it's all based off of this movie. So um, yeah, so check out Chef. Um, did I say where it's at? It's on Stars. So you'll you'll have to go to start get your Stars free preview. For seven days and just watch this movie and you know if there's something else that looks good watch that and then watch chef again because it's it's a uh, very worth watching yes absolutely and we covered this on uh at length i think on episode 27 so this is a good okay. kind of recap and a pitch yeah. for that so if you want to hear more about chef uh i'm pretty sure yeah it's you and me that's right uh yeah. joe and i talked about that uh i was gonna bring up the chef show but you did uh yeah, yeah that is definitely uh, a fun show and and this movie is is uh, two hours just under mm-hmm. really easy watch really good feeling yes. movie the best performances beyond F- favreau yeah our leguizamo and bobby carnavali uh mm-hmm. the three of them together is great of course i think i don't know the exact terminology so pardon my ignorance but i think john leguizamo is like his sous chef maybe yes uh-huh. um and then carnavali is another one of the chefs like uh like yeah. helping in the sitch I, actually and, wait i'm sorry i, I think carnavali was the sous chef and then when favreau leaves he becomes the chef and then leguizamo is going to be the sous chef okay okay and, so i yeah. had it backwards but yeah um but yeah they they the, that trio is great man mm-hmm. oh uh, yeah they're so really great. really good and then I mean, Favreau knows everyone, dude, so I'm not surprised all these people. And if you watch it, you know why they were in it. Scarlett Johansson shot for probably four hours in a day. You know what I'm saying? Because Uh it's like they got everything out of it that they could edit in, and she was able to go. uh, Robert Downey Jr., Dustin, all of them, right? They're all in a very specific context, so you know that they showed up one day, got paid, and left. And I'm not saying they did it for the money. They did it probably because it was his passion project, right? Yes. And it yes. feels like a passion project. There's mm-hmm. a lot behind it uh, that really tackles it. But the heart of the whole thing is a, is a father trying to reconnect with his son, whom <laughs> he had lost a connection with for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes. And so, mm-hmm. um, it, man, what a what a great uh, what a great movie, dude. This yeah. is one of those like I, I tend to when I think of nostalgic picks. Mm-hmm. I go back to things like Tommy Boy and yes. Happy Gilmore. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, uh-huh. or or like really silly comedies I grew up with, basically, and things like that. But this one is nothing like those movies. I don't mean to compare them, but I'm just saying like this is one that will hit with nostalgia as well, where it's not even necessarily... I don't even know if it was on my top 10 that year, but that's not the point. It's like yeah. it may not be that kind of movie, but it is a fucking awesome movie that I could watch yeah. more often mm-hmm. than probably most of the movies that made my top 10 that year. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, yes, absolutely. Um, it just has like an infinitely rewatchable vibe. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, I love this and great yes. pick. Love, love, love that. Again, go check out Thank our you. episode on uh, episode 27. Uh, when did that come out? I'm pulling it up now. I don't know how to do that on here. Um <laughs> 
Oh, April 13th. That's whenever yeah. it was published. So okay. got that. So good. Or April 13, 2021. Let me clarify. That's yes. a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, great. OK, um, my last pick, uh, I'm just going to stick with the the uh, heaviness of my last picture. Uh, All right. Surprised. No one. And uh, and I, I went for the underrated thing as well, like the kind of under talked about. Uh, I don't even think when this movie came out, it was all that talked about. But this is the 10th anniversary mm-hmm. of J.C. Chander's A Most Violent Year from 2014. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. The cast is Oscar Isaac, Jessica Chastain, David Oyelowo. Uh, I learned how to say that and I fucked it up. Nice. Oyelowo, yeah. that is how you say his name. And uh, Albert Brooks is in it. Uh, release date was actually the wide release date was in 2015. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the actual release date, the official, was December 31st, 2014. I was a day away from this not counting. The premiere was technically (laughs) earlier than that, but it was technically a 2014 title. Uh, Budget Mm. was $20 million. It bombed to an extent $12 million that it returned. Uh, Mm. This is on streaming on Max right now. It's a thriller set in New York City during the winter of 1981. Statistically, one of the most violent years in the city's history and centered on a... Uh, or rather on the lives of an immigrant and his family trying to expand their business and capitalize on opportunities as the rampant violence, decay, and corruption of the day drag them in and threaten to destroy all they have built. This is a movie that I watched. Uh, I was an Oscar Isaac fan already at this point. Loved Jessica Chastain largely because she was in, if I remember correctly, Take Shelter. And that mm-hmm. was like one of my all-time favorite movies at this point because I love that movie so much. <laughs> um, and so uh, I was a big fan. Of course, Albert Brooks is great. I didn't know who yes. uh, David Oyelowo was. So uh-huh. I, you know, that was nothing at the time. But, um, you know... Uh, this movie was fucking awesome. It offers a really compelling exploration of ambition and morality and the American dream. And it's all set against that really cool, violent New York backdrop of 1981. Um, it, it feels like a gangster movie, even though there are no gangsters. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, there's a vibe to it that feels like a 70s gangster movie to me or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's set, uh, as I said, during one of the most crime ridden years in the city's history. And the film is uh, focused on Abel, who is played by Oscar Isaac. Excellently, excellently played, I mean. Um, and he navigates that treacherous world. Um, and he doesn't work in any, he doesn't work in uh, uh, waste management as one might think for a gangster or anything <laughs> like that. He works yeah. in the heating oil industry. So this is like dealing with oil. It's like the more I tell you, the more you're like, wait, this is cool. Cause it's like, they really kind of strip away a lot of the things that should be cool. But dude, it really just leaves room for this to be one fucking killer movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, the character of Abel reminds me so much of Michael Corleone in uh, Godfather part two. This is Oscar Isaac getting his chance to really put on his 1974 Pacino shoes, okay? <laughs> um, and not that he's not that he's doing a par- like a, a a an homage or a parody or anything. It's just no, the character no. about it. It's like this is what Michael Corleone would be in between Godfather one and two or something. Is this guy right? <laughs> like he's yes. like the weird bridge between the movies. Um, so uh, one of the film's most prominent themes, going back to my themes, is. 
uh, and ethics, quite frankly, is the struggle faced by Abel as he grapples with, you know, the pressures of success and the temptation of um, maybe you'd say compromise um, with his principles, I guess is a good way to say it. And uh, and he's his constant kind of struggle and fight with corruption um, and throughout the narrative, Abel is confronted with moral dilemmas that force him to confront the the how do you say it like uh, maybe the true cost of of achieving his version of the American dream, you know, as an immigrant in the 80s. And mm-hmm. what sets the most violent year apart uh, is the storytelling. I think it's so not only is the storytelling nuanced, but I think the character development is really nuanced as well. And Chander's direction, coupled with Isaac's commanding performance. Um, I don't know, man. It, I, I just think there's a certain going back to this phrase again. There's a through line through them all a bit, like the the depth and complexity of these characters. Um, I mean, Chander really transforms Abel uh, from a just a simple protagonist to a very resilient and determined to be dramatic kind of a face of adversity. You know what I mean? Like, like he's really, really, really. Uh, struggling in this movie and and there again back to that meticulous attention to detail that I've talked about a lot I think there's a lot of really good detail that goes kind of under talked about with this movie Um, the Mm -hmm. atmosphere is great the cinematography really adds to that it's there's like a gritty realism of the 1980s um, New York here and uh, I think it's just really immersive as I said and uh, the last thing I'll say about this for now is uh, you know the film really explores the systemic corruption um abel's wife is actually the daughter of like she was kind of born into money basically right yeah so she is actually the one that often leads to corruption (laughs) Uh, she's the one that's she's like by proxy kind of tied to it you know what i mean and and he's i mean even in his own household he's struggling with the the fight to stay legitimate basically uh and and fighting to keep what is rightfully his etc um, and I just think it's a really poignant commentary on the enduring struggle of, you know, success and morality, um, you know, pretty much in a society that's full of inequality and exploitation. You know what I mean, uh, <laughs> yes. it's it's just an interesting film. And like I said, if you want to see Oscar Isaac do his best Michael Corleone character, uh, this is it. Uh, did you get a chance to see this yeah. that year? I, I believe I did see this, but I don't have many memories of it. Um, I think maybe I watched it in a rush, in a haze, because um, my memories are pretty foggy, but I I certainly remember it existing. <laughs> yeah, no. I, um, I, I, I do want to say J.C. Chandor has a small but strong filmography. He, he did A Most Violent Year, as you discussed. He also did Margin Call, which is one of those. Real good. Um, really like high stakes takes place in a i don't know it's a um financial investment firm or something um and it's got like this great cast and it's really difficult to watch in some ways because they're they speak in this really like they speak in like really thick jargon from you know from the uh you know the kind of the financial industry and it's sort of hard to understand what's going on, but also you do understand what's going on and you understand. It's like, it's just for a movie where people are sitting around talking, it's just a, a absolute powder keg of emotion. And real um, quick, before you move on, margin call reminds me of like, I remember whenever like the show ER became uh-huh. popular in the nineties yeah, and yeah. it was like one of those first kind of hospital movies where people are using officials like, 
like doctor terms and things yes. for things, and no one knows what the fuck, whatever cardio, blah blah blah. You just said, but yeah. we all fucking get what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what yes. I'm saying. Uh-huh. Uh, and and I think I think that's the type of thing margin calls doing, even to a further extent. It's like yes. all of it is. It's like at my job, you know, I work at a university and there are all these acronyms. I've been there for almost three years. I still don't know them all. Yeah, everything's an acronym. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And if you were listening to a podcast of us just talking about work, uh, there'd be so many acronyms. You wouldn't know what we were talking about. But if we did it as well as margin call, you would totally be able to infer what we're referring to. So I I can't stress enough, like Joe said, like that movie does have a lot of that language. But man, it's. It's good. Dude. I love a good dialogue movie, but yeah, it's good. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'll I'll I'm I'm going to gloss over the cast real quick just because I'm going to trans I'm going to contrast that with with another film that he does. Yeah. So, uh Zachary Quinto, Stanley Tucci, Kevin Spacey, Paul Bettany, Jeremy Irons, Pin Badgley from You, which was a terrific Netflix series, Simon Baker, Demi Moore, um Asif Manvi who is more known for comedy. Um Let's see who else is in here. That's about it. That that's not that that's not enough. That's a big cast. Um, but then um JC Chandor follows that up with All Is Lost, starring Robert Redford and no one else. Yeah. So <laughs> it's uh so that that's a a film where Robert Redford is is on a boat in the middle of the ocean and the boat is slowly sinking. And so um yeah, that's that's another just as you would say, a, an absolute banger. Um one man kind of production. Um, and then he did, you know, as you said, a most violent year, he, he has some stuff upcoming, including Craven, the hunter as a director, which is an, seems an odd choice for him. It is but, an odd choice. Yeah. But, um, and also the robber and the connection, which I don't know when he's attached to the connection. That's a TV series. And then the robber, which I know nothing about. It yeah, doesn't even have a release date on IMDb at this point, but um, yeah, you might hear his name uh, this year when Craven, the hunter comes out. Um, but yeah, he's, he's pretty, he's one of those guys that just, if you see his name on a movie, you're like, okay, this movie is going to be worth watching, um, if nothing else. So that, um, maybe gives me a little hope for Craven the Hunter because yeah. I, I thought nothing, but this movie is going to be a disaster. Me but, too. Uh, Actually, yeah. I didn't realize, I didn't put together that he, that he was the same guy. Cause like mm-hmm. you said, margin call that kind of put him on the map. Yeah. Uh, all is lost was in my top 10 that year. I mm-hmm. actually loved that movie. Uh, yeah. It's just a one-man show, and I love a good experiment like that. But, man, Redford, talk about a guy having a comeback, basically. It's just like no yeah. one fucking gave a shit about him. And then he does this killer performance. Um, but then you, you mentioned a most violent year. You're like, yeah, I saw it when it came out, but I just don't really remember yeah, and that, the movie. And that, that, Dude. That's not yeah, got nothing to do with the quality of the movie. The ends of the years are always a blur for me, and it's – and. I, I probably didn't actually watch it. Maybe I tried to watch it late at night and fell asleep and never finished it. But I, I have memories of the movie, at least scenes of the movie. So, Well, uh, here's the thing that's weird about it, though. I love this movie. It was on my top 10. And it's one mm-hmm. of those that somehow gets on your top 10 that you also forget about. Like, I yeah. forget about this movie all the time. Had I not looked on IMDb by the years and by what's streaming, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I, I would have never picked this ever. Yeah. And as soon yeah. as I saw it, it was between this and another movie I forget about, which I might use for a, a, another one of our movies of the fours on yeah. the fours. <laughs> I'll get it, guys. Anyways, um, 
but uh, yeah, most violent year. I, I stand by it, man. It, it's yeah. it is a killer movie. I hope everyone checks it out. If you get to watch any of the six movies that we recommended on any of the streaming services that you may or may not have, that one's on Max again. Uh, hit us up. Medium Cool Pod yeah. on Instagram. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Uh, any final thoughts, Joe? No, the, this is uh, six solid movies. It's some some good homework for anybody listening who um, hasn't seen some of these movies. Go check them out. Um, and yeah, well, I'm I'm kind of excited about doing this as sort of a recurring thing, um, you know, and, and see how many really good movies we can find, and especially ones that people kind of forget about. Um, so, yeah, if, if you have your own movies on the fours, of course, you know, let us know. Send yeah. us a message. Especially a if comment. there's something that is maybe lesser known or that we've never talked about. Hit us up because I'll straight up just watch it because I haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love I would love to hear about that. And this also helps me like I haven't seen a couple of your choices, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, or at least one of them. And mm-hmm. uh, so that gives me some stuff to watch. But remember, guys, we gave you six and there are seven days before the next episode. So you have plenty of time. That's right. right if you call yourself a film lover. Anyways, Joe, thanks yes. a lot, buddy. Hey, thank you. You know, I was talking about in the intro that Joe trapped me with that lie about Jimmy Stewart and, Hitch- and him actually breaking his lie, his leg on a, uh, what was it, a fucking some sort of pony and, and Hitchcock, whatever, that lie. Well, let me tell you, uh, I, I was completely conflating different movies. I knew there was some sort of thing that affected one of Jimmy Stewart's movies. I believed Joe because I'm a good friend. And I thought that he was telling the truth and he straight up fucking lied to me. That's what happened. And um, uh, no, it was actually that Jimmy Stewart experienced uh, extreme PTSD during It's a Wonderful Life. I had to like look it up and I forgot to mention it during the episode. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what I was like thinking of. I just couldn't remember what it was. And whenever he brought that up, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I remember that from school. Nope, that wasn't it. But uh, yeah, so there's my saving face, um, <laughs> even though I was totally wrong. Um, but anyways, uh, so uh, we're going to have some fun episodes for you coming up. As we get closer to the Oscars, we're actually going to start uh, reviewing some of the movies we haven't talked about from the Oscars. For example, um, uh, American Fiction is one. Uh, I know that uh, we might talk about Past Lives and Anatomy of a Fall a bit more. We talked about them in our best of 2023, but we'll talk about them a little more possibly. Um, Obviously, poor things in the zone of interest. If I get a chance, we're going to talk about those. So we have some fun episodes coming up for you. Joe will be with me for a while, and I'm looking forward to it. So until then, good night, good luck, and take it easy. Thank you.